Have, uh, have you guys heard of Aesop's fables? Raise your hand. Have you ever heard of Aesop's fables before? Anybody ever heard of that? All right. Aesop was a Greek storyteller, right? He was a Greek storyteller. Uh, and, and his stories or his fables would be genius literary works of art that would communicate a lesson or a moral. One of the most popular fables that I bet you everybody here has heard of or knows is the one with the tortoise and the hare. Have you guys ever heard of that one? Tortoise and the hare? All right, so he's the Greek philosopher, storyteller, whatever, that, that kind of made that. Well, he said this. That you can read this up on the screen. should have it up there. He said, men are born with two bags. One in front carrying their neighbor's faults and one behind carrying their own faults. What's the lesson that you guys think that Aesop is trying to teach us in this short but powerful word picture? Essentially, what he's saying is that we all have blind spots. And, uh, and those blind spots are conveniently, conveniently located on our own faults and our own sin. However, the faults and the sin of our neighbor, guess what? They're in, right in front of us in plain view so that we can see and so that we can nitpick and criticize. You know, we began a series last week called No Space Between Us. We've reached the final chapter in Paul's letters to the Galatians. And, uh, and in this last part of the letter, Paul has been making the argument that as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes residence within us and He changes us from the inside out. And it doesn't only impact, impact us as individuals. And we spoke about the fruit of the Spirit and what that does inside of us. But it even impacts how we relate to one another. And last week we opened up the can of worms talking about restoration, the topic of restoration. How do we restore a fellow brother or sister in Christ? That Paul said, to use Paul's word, was overtaken by sin. You know, Christians and, uh, and church people can be really good at judging and condemning and rejecting other people, especially other Christians who have fallen or have sinned. But you know what we're not very good at? We're not very good at restoration. And what we mentioned last week was that God was a God of restoration and forgiveness. And God is in the business of restoration. And guess what? We should be about the family business. We should also be about restoration. And Paul made uh, the case in verse 2 that we should carry one another's burdens because by doing so we fulfill the law of Christ. So today we're going to continue in that same vein. And we're going to pry a little bit more on why or what would keep us from carrying the burdens of our brother or sister, as Paul mentioned in verse 2. And what would keep us from traveling the road of restoration with them? And what Paul is going to help us see is that the primary obstacle in your way and in my way of keeping us from restoring our brother or sister is pride, is pride. In fact, that's number one in your notes. That is that pride keeps us from bearing burdens. Pride keeps us from bearing uh, our, one another's burdens. Paul says it this way in verse 3. For if anyone considers himself to be something, when he is actually what? What's that word there? He is nothing. He deceives himself. Now remember that Paul is making the case that we should bear or carry one another's burdens, right? And by doing so that we fulfill the law of Christ, which we mentioned last week, the law of Christ is what? Is 
love. That's the law of Christ. And the main or the biggest obstacle that keeps us from doing that is pride. It's when we consider ourselves something when we're in fact nothing. Now, Paul isn't trying to demean us, and he's not trying to demean his audience by saying this. What he's saying is that we all have a tendency to think much more of ourselves than our brother or our sister. Like Aesop's fable, we see our neighbor's bag because it's out in front of us. And it's so much easier to pick on him and on his faults. And we all tend to walk around with our blinders up to our own faults. Or at the very least, we see them much, much smaller and minuscule compared to others' faults. An unknown author wrote this. I think I have this up on the screen as well. Check this out. Tell me if, uh, if you relate to this at all or have you ever heard anybody say this. I've often thought that if I ever fall into a trespass, in other words, if I happen to be overtaken by sin, that I will, I, I will pray that I don't land in the hands of those censorious, critical, self-righteous judges in the church. In other words, he's saying, man, if I were ever to slip up or make a mistake or fall into sin, I pray to God I don't fall into the hands of other Christians or church people. Let me fall into the hands of barkeepers and street walkers or dope peddlers because such people would, would tear me apart with their long, wagging, gossipy, gossipy tongues cutting me. I'm sorry, such church people would tear me apart with their long, wagging, gossipy tongues cutting me to shreds. You might say, ouch, right? Ouch. Now, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've heard this, not quite so eloquently put, of course, but I've heard this from folks because pride keeps us from seeing our brother and sister in need and offering the help that is needed in order to lead them towards restoration. It's what inspires us to look at someone else's sin, especially if it's something that was done in the public eye, and say, how could they do such a thing? They deserve what they got coming. That's pride. It's pride. It's prideful to think that you're better than someone else in need of restoration just because maybe you're not currently in need of restoration. By the way, pride is also what keeps us from receiving help where we're in the need of restoration. That's the flip side of the coin. Maybe you've been on the side where you needed restoration and people have tried to offer you the help that you need, but out of pride, you rejected that help because after all, I, I can handle this by myself. You know, I don't need anyone's help. I can take care of this. Or even worse, perhaps you thought or said, I'm beyond a point of restoration. There's no hope for me right now where I'm at. I'm in too deep. I can never get out of this. And guys, that is still pride. R.C.H. Lenski, he's a scholar and a commentator. He says this. Uh, I think I have it on the screen as well. What makes us tender and helpful, meek and kindly toward others is the realization that we ourselves are nothing and that we too need our brethren. We too need our brethren. What will position us in the best place to carry one another's burdens and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ is to offer that help and, and to offer that path towards restoration from a place of immense humility, realizing that perhaps tomorrow it could be me 
And perhaps tomorrow could be you. It could be us. That we might be the ones in need of restoration. And if you think otherwise, Paul says, you're deceiving yourself. In other words, Paul is saying, don't play yourself, bro. You can't be serious. You ain't the hot stuff. So jump off your cloud and restore your brother from a place of humility. Paul goes on to say, number two, that we ought to take a long look in the mirror. Take a long look in the mirror. Verse four says this, let each person examine his own work and then he can take pride in himself alone and not what? What's that word? And not compare himself with someone else. You see, what Paul is saying here is that instead of comparing ourselves to somebody else, we need to take a deep, long look in the mirror and examine ourselves. To continue in the example of Aesop's fable that I brought up in the beginning, we need to flip the bag around. Instead of carrying our neighbor's faults in front, we need to flip the bag around, put the neighbors in the back, put, us, put ours out in front so we can examine it. You know, many times we like to compare ourselves to someone who's in worse condition than us, right? It makes us feel good about ourselves. But taking a long look in the mirror, that's hard to do, isn't it? Because when you look at a mirror, it reflects what is. Flaws and all. When you look in the mirror, it'll tell you if you got a snot up your nose, right? It'll, it'll tell you if you got a big old zit coming out the side of your face. It'll show you all your scars and warts. The mirror don't lie. It shows you what's there. When you look in the mirror, it reveals all. So Paul says you should examine your own work and don't compare yourself with someone else because that's easy, isn't it? And that's why one of the most helpful and dangerous prayers we can pray, David prayed in the book of Psalms. And I'm going to invite you guys to pray this dangerous prayer and helpful prayer with me today. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Would you guys read it out loud? Ready, go. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in everlasting way. That's a scary prayer, huh? Lord, reveal, is there anything in me? In your self-reflection and examination, it is impossible to come to the conclusion that you're amazing. I seriously doubt it. The conclusion that you would draw is that you too are a sinner in desperate need of saving. That you also fall incredibly short of the glory of God. That God is also at work in you. And maybe the Holy Spirit might even bring to mind all the ways that God's grace has been extended to you. In that self-reflection and look, in that long look in the mirror, God will give you hum humility to realize that it could be you, which should lead to gratitude for the Lord's grace that is keeping you from sin, and it should also build up an immense amount of compassion for your fallen brother or sister and lead you towards kindness, to help lift them up. Number three is this, and that is that you are responsible for your load. You are responsible for your load. Paul says it quite frankly, verse five, for each person will have to carry his own load. His own load. The Greek word that's translated load there, you guys see right there in the verse? The word that's translated load is different than the word that's translated burden in verse two. 
The Greek word translated load means a soldier's backpack. And it was a backpack that a soldier would carry with him out onto the field or on for a mission. And what Paul is saying is that we all have a load to carry that is our responsibility, that we must carry. The burden in verse 2 that we spoke about last week, it would, remember we studied the Greek word for that too, and it meant a weight that is unbearable for one person to carry. Therefore, we ought to carry one another's burdens. But on purpose here, Paul uses a completely different word to say that we all have an individual responsibility, that we need to carry our load. You see, Christianity is corporate. In other words, that we're called to live out our faith in community. But salvation is individual. We will be held accountable for our actions and for how we stewarded the grace of God. And it's not simply by being better than someone else or comparing ourselves to someone else. We have a load that we need to carry. This is a sign of spiritual maturity. How do you know if you're growing in your walk with Christ? This is how you know. You look less and less at the sins of others and you look in the mirror and you see areas in your life where you're in desperate need of the grace of God and you carry your load. You don't simply point out someone else's burden. You carry your load. In the Garden of Eden, Adam, instead of taking responsibility for his fault and for his sin, he shifted blame to Eve. He pointed out the fault in Eve, but neglected his responsibility in the matter. He pointed the mirror in Eve's direction, and he neglected to look at his own reflection. But if we are carrying our own load, as we are supposed to, then it will create sympathy for your brother or sister's burden. You will realize, you know what? We're all carrying something here, all of us. We're all carrying something, and instead of passing on blame, and instead of pointing fingers, let me walk with my brother. Let me walk with my sister on the road to restoration. In the New Testament, I love this powerful picture that Jesus paints. Jesus was an amazing storyteller, and he would speak in parables. And in this parable, this story, he uh, compared two different prayers from two different men. One was a Pharisee, and a Pharisee was a religious leader. I mean, think of him like a, like a pastor or something. Uh, a very, you know, well-admired person, especially in Jesus' day, a religious leader. The other person was a tax collector, who in Jesus' day was seen as a sinful, crooked thief, because not only did they work for the opposing government, for the Roman government, but oftentimes, uh, more often than not, they would collect a little bit more from the people's taxes and put it in their pockets. And they were stealing from people. Well, they both went to temple to pray. And Jesus goes on to let us in and listen on his prayers. If you were a fly on the wall in the temple that day, this is what you would have heard. I have the verses there for you to follow. It's found in Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter uh, 11, I believe. Uh, the Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy and unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of everything I get. Do you hear the self-righteousness in his prayer and his comparison? Verse 13, but the tax collector, standing far off, 
would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself would be exalted. The Pharisee's prideful prayer simply compared himself to the tax collector and pointed out all his faults. But the tax collector, he chose to carry his load and to walk the road of self-reflection, which ultimately leads to repentance. You are responsible for your load. And just to wrap up our time with some good news, number four in our notes is this. And that is that Jesus carries our burden upon his cross. The Bible describes a weight and a burden that we all carry. Every single one of us is the weight of our sin. And the Bible says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This burden we will carry, that we all carry, not only weighs us down, but it creates a chasm between us and God. The wages of our sin, the Bible says, is death. The penalty for our sin, the Bible says, is death. But praise God that Jesus is the perfect burden bearer who bears the burdens of our sin. Jesus lives a perfect and sinless life and he willingly marches towards the cross. Upon Jesus' back, he bore the weight of our sin. The penalty that we deserved, he endures. He carries His cross. He embraces nails driven through His hands and His feet. And with Jesus, our sins were nailed to the cross of Calvary so that in His death, we can experience the forgiveness of sin. And But three days later, Jesus conquered Satan, sin, and death, and He rises from the grave. And because Jesus is alive, we are made alive. We are forgiven because He is alive. We are renewed. And we have the promise not only of an eternity with our Heavenly Father, but we can have the promise of an abundant life now. So I'm going to invite Hunter to come up here and he's going to lead us in one final song. And as he, do, as he does, I want to I invite you to remember the work of Christ on the cross for the burden of our sin. I'm going to invite you to remember that by partaking in communion. And in a moment, you're going to be invited to grab a communion cup in the back and you have a moment to reflect, to repent, and to remember the work of Jesus. Because Jesus carries our burdens, we can carry the burdens of others. We don't point, we don't judge, we don't condemn our fallen brother or sister, like Jesus, we bear their burdens. And as Jesus carried His cross, we carry our cross and follow Him. We take responsibility for our load. And we allow that to, take, to create gratitude in our hearts that God would love and save a wretch like me. And allow that to create compassion, to lift others and to journey with others on the road to restoration. If you yet to make a decision to follow Jesus, I invite you to put your faith in Him tonight. You have that opportunity. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have an opportunity in just a moment to partake in communion and to reflect and to remember 
Jesus' work on the cross and the responsibility that we have to carry our load and to help carry the burdens of our fallen brother or sister. Would you guys join me in prayer? God, I pray that you would protect us from pride as it so often bubbles up in our lives. God, would you search our hearts and reveal where we need more and more of you, God. Help us, God, to carry our load and remind us that your grace is made perfect in our weakness. And thank you, Jesus, that you are the perfect burden bearer and that you carry the weight of our sin upon your back so that we can experience forgiveness of sin and new life. God, would you create in us humility, God, to identify where we fall incredibly short and compassion to lift our brother or sister up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have, uh, have you guys heard of Aesop's Fables? Raise your hand if you ever heard of Aesop's Fables before. Anybody ever heard of that? All right. Aesop was a Greek storyteller, right? He was a Greek storyteller. Uh, and, and his stories or his fables would be genius literary works of art that would communicate a lesson or a moral. One of the most popular fables that I bet you everybody here has heard of or knows is the one with the tortoise and the hare. Have you guys ever heard of that one, tortoise and the hare? All right, so he's the Greek philosopher, storyteller, whatever, that, that kind of made that. Well, he said this, that you can read this up on the screen, should have it up there. He said, men are born with two bags. One in front carrying their neighbor's faults and one behind carrying their own faults. What's the lesson that you guys think that Aesop is trying to teach us in this short but powerful word picture? Essentially, what he's saying is that we all have blind spots and, uh, and those blind spots are conveniently, conveniently located on our own faults and our own sins. However, the faults and the sin of our neighbor, guess what? They're in, right in front of us in plain view so that we can see and so that we can nitpick and criticize. You know, we began a series last week called No Space Between Us. And we've reached the final chapter in Paul's letters to the Galatians. And, uh, and in this last part of the letter, Paul has been making the argument that as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes residence within us and He changes us from the inside out. And it doesn't only impact, impact us as individuals, and we spoke about the fruit of the Spirit and what that does inside of us, but it even impacts how we relate to one another. And last week we opened up the can of worms talking about restoration, the topic of restoration. How do we restore a fellow brother or sister in Christ? That Paul said, to use Paul's word, was overtaken by sin. You know, Christians and, uh, and church people can be really good at judging and condemning and rejecting other people, especially other Christians who have fallen or have sinned. But you know what we're not very good at? We're not very good at restoration. And what we mentioned last week was that God was a God of restoration and forgiveness. And God is in the business of restoration. And guess what? We should be about the family business. We should also be about restoration. And Paul made uh, the case in verse 2 
that we should carry one another's burdens because by doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. So today we're going to continue in that same vein. We're going to pry a little bit more on why or what would keep us from carrying the burdens of our brother or sister, as Paul mentioned in verse 2. And what would keep us from traveling the road of restoration with them? And what Paul is going to help us see is that the primary obstacle in your way and in my way of keeping us from restoring our brother or sister is pride. Is pride. In fact, that's number one in your notes. That is that pride keeps us from bearing burdens. Pride keeps us from bearing our, one another's burdens. Paul says it this way in verse 3. For if anyone considers himself to be something, when he is actually what? What's that word there? He is? Nothing. He deceives himself. Now remember that Paul is making the case that we should bear or carry one another's burdens, right? And by doing so that we fulfill the law of Christ, which we mentioned last week, the law of Christ is what? Is love. That's the law of Christ. And the main or the biggest obstacle that keeps us from doing that is pride. It's when we consider ourselves something when we're in fact nothing. Now, Paul isn't trying to demean us, and he's not trying to demean his audience by saying this. What he's saying is that we all have a tendency to think much more of ourselves than our brother or our sister. Like Aesop's fable, we see our neighbor's bag because it's out in front of us. And it's so much easier to pick on him and on his faults. And we all tend to walk around with our blinders up to our own faults. Or at the very least, we see them much, much smaller and minuscule compared to others' faults. An unknown author wrote this. I think I have this up on the screen as well. Check this out. Tell me if, uh, if you relate to this at all or have you ever heard anybody say this. I've often thought that if I ever fall into a trespass, in other words, if I happen to be overtaken by sin, that I will, I, I will pray that I don't land in the hands of those censorious, critical, self-righteous judges in the church. In other words, he's saying, man, if I were ever to slip up or make a mistake or fall into sin, I pray to God I don't fall into the hands of other Christians or church people. Let me fall into the hands of barkeepers and street walkers or dope peddlers because such people would, would tear me apart with their long, wagging, gossipy, gossipy tongues cutting me. I'm sorry, such church people would tear me apart with their long, wagging, gossipy tongues cutting me to shreds. You might say, ouch, right? Ouch. Now, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've heard this, not quite so eloquently put, of course, but I've heard this from folks because pride keeps us from seeing our brother and sister in need and offering the help that is needed in order to lead them towards restoration. It's what inspires us to look at someone else's sin, especially if it's something that was done in the public eye, and say, how could they do such a thing? They deserve what they got coming. That's pride. It's pride. It's prideful to think that you're better than someone else in need of restoration just because maybe you're not currently in need of restoration. By the way, pride is also what keeps us from receiving help where we're in the need of restoration. That's the flip side of the coin. 
Maybe you've been on the side where you needed restoration and people have tried to offer you the help that you need, but out of pride, you rejected that help because after all, I, I can handle this by myself. You know, I don't need anyone's help. I can take care of this. Or even worse, perhaps you thought or said, I'm beyond a point of restoration. There's no hope for me right now where I'm at. I'm in too deep. I can never get out of this. And guys, that is still pride. R.C.H. Lenski, he's a scholar and a commentator. He says this. I, I think I have it on the screen as well. What makes us tender and helpful, meek and kindly toward others, is the realization that we ourselves are nothing and that we too need our brethren. We too need our brethren. What will position us in the best place to carry one another's burdens and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ is to offer that help and, and to offer that path towards restoration from a place of immense humility, realizing that perhaps tomorrow it could be me, and perhaps tomorrow it could be you, it could be us, that we might be the ones in need of restoration. And if you think otherwise, Paul says you're deceiving yourself. In other words, Paul is saying, don't play yourself, bro. You can't be serious. You ain't the hot stuff. So jump off your cloud and restore your brother from a place of humility. Paul goes on to say, number two, that we ought to take a long look in the mirror. Take a long look in the mirror. Verse four says this, let each person examine his own work. And then he can take pride in himself alone and not what? What's that word? And not compare himself with someone else. You see, what Paul is saying here is that instead of comparing ourselves to somebody else, we need to take a deep, long look in the mirror and examine ourselves. To continue in the example of Aesop's fable that I brought up in the beginning, we need to flip the bag around. Instead of carrying our neighbor's faults in front, we need to flip the bag around put the neighbors in the back, put, us, put ours out in front so we can examine it. You know, many times we like to compare ourselves to someone who's in worse condition than us, right? It makes us feel good about ourselves. But taking a long look in the mirror, that's hard to do, isn't it? Because when you look at a mirror, it reflects what is. Flaws and all. When you look in the mirror, it'll tell you if you got a snot up your nose, Right? It'll, it'll tell you if you got a big old zit coming out the side of your face. It'll show you all your scars and warts. The mirror don't lie. It shows you what's there. When you look in the mirror, it reveals all. So Paul says you should examine your own work and don't compare yourself with someone else because that's easy, isn't it? And that's why one of the most helpful and dangerous prayers we can pray, David prayed in the book of Psalms, and I'm going to invite you guys to pray this dangerous prayer and helpful prayer with me today. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Would you guys read it out loud? Ready, go. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in everlasting way. That's a scary prayer, huh? Lord, reveal, is there anything in me? In your self-reflection and examination, it is impossible to come to the conclusion that you're amazing. I seriously doubt it. 
The conclusion that you would draw is that you too are a sinner in desperate need of saving. That you also fall incredibly short of the glory of God. That God is also at work in you. And maybe the Holy Spirit might even bring to mind all the ways that God's grace has been extended to you. In that self-reflection and look, in that long look in the mirror, God will give you hum- humility to realize that it could be you, which should lead to gratitude for the Lord's grace that is keeping you from sin, and it should also build up an immense amount of compassion for your fallen brother or sister and lead you towards kindness to help lift them up. Number three is this, and that is that you are responsible for your load. You are responsible for your load. Paul says it quite frankly, verse 5, for each person will have to carry his own load. His own load. The Greek word that's translated load there, you guys see right there in the verse? The word that's translated load is different than the word that's translated burden in verse 2. The Greek word translated load means a soldier's backpack. And it was a backpack that a soldier would carry with him out onto the field or on for a mission. And what Paul is saying is that we all have a load to carry that is our responsibility, that we must carry. The burden in verse 2 that we spoke about last week, it would, remember we studied the Greek word for that too, and it meant a weight that is unbearable for one person to carry. Therefore, we ought to carry one another's burdens. But on purpose here, Paul uses a completely different word to say that we all have an individual responsibility, that we need to carry our load. You see, Christianity is corporate. In other words, that we're called to live out our faith in community. But salvation is individual. We will be held accountable for our actions and for how we stewarded the grace of God. And it's not simply by being better than someone else or comparing ourselves to someone else. We have a load that we need to carry. This is a sign of spiritual maturity. How do you know if you're growing in your walk with Christ? This is how you know. You look less and less at the sins of others and you look in the mirror and you see areas in your life where you're in desperate need of the grace of God. And you carry your load. You don't simply point out someone else's burden. You carry your load. In the Garden of Eden, Adam, instead of taking responsibility for his fault and for his sin, he shifted blame to Eve. He pointed out the fault in Eve, but neglected his responsibility in the matter. He pointed the mirror in Eve's direction, and he neglected to look at his own reflection. But if we are carrying our own load, as we are supposed to, then it will create sympathy for your brother or sister's burden. You will realize, you know what? We're all carrying something here, all of us. We're all carrying something. And instead of passing on blame and instead of pointing fingers, let me walk with my brother. Let me walk with my sister on the road to restoration. In the New Testament, I love this powerful picture that Jesus paints. Jesus was an amazing storyteller and he would speak in parables. And in this parable, this story, he uh, compared two different prayers from two different men. One was a Pharisee and a Pharisee was a religious leader. Think of him like a a pastor or something. 
uh, a very, you know, well-admired person, especially in Jesus' day, a religious leader. The other person was a tax collector who in Jesus' day was seen as a sinful, crooked thief because not only did they work for the opposing government, for the Roman government, but oftentimes, uh, more often than not, they would collect a little bit more from the people's taxes and put it in their pockets. And they were stealing from people. Well, they both went to temple to pray. And Jesus goes on to let us in and listen on his prayers. If you were a fly on the wall in the temple that day, this is what you would have heard. I have the verses there for you to follow. It's found in Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter uh, 11, I believe. Uh, the Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy and unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of everything I get. Do you hear the self-righteousness in his prayer and his comparison? Verse 13, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven but kept striking his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself would be exalted. The Pharisee's prideful prayer simply compared himself to the tax collector and pointed out all his faults. But the tax collector, he chose to carry his load and to walk the road of self-reflection, which ultimately leads to repentance. You are responsible for your load. And just to wrap up our time with some good news, number four in our notes is this, and that is that Jesus carries our burden upon his cross. The Bible describes a weight and a burden that we all carry. Every single one of us is the weight of our sin. And the Bible says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This burden we will carry, that we all carry, not only weighs us down, but it creates a chasm between us and God. The wages of our sin, the Bible says, is death. The penalty for our sin, the Bible says, is death. But praise God that Jesus is the perfect burden bearer who bears the burdens of our sin. Jesus lives a perfect and sinless life and he willingly marches towards the cross. Upon Jesus' back, he bore the weight of our sin. The penalty that we deserved, he endures. He carries his cross. He embraces nails driven through his hands and his feet. And with Jesus... Our sins were nailed to the cross of Calvary so that in his death we can experience the forgiveness of sin. And but three days later, Jesus conquered Satan, sin, and death, and he rises from the grave. And because Jesus is alive, we are made alive. We are forgiven because he is alive. We are renewed. And we have the promise not only of an eternity with our Heavenly Father we can have the promise of an abundant life now. So I'm going to invite Hunter to come up here and he's going to lead us in one final song. And as he, do, as he does, I want to I invite you to remember the work of Christ on the cross 
for the burden of our sin. I'm going to invite you to remember that by partaking in communion. And in a moment, you're going to be invited to grab a communion cup in the back and you have a moment to reflect, to repent, and to remember the work of Jesus. Because Jesus carries our burdens, we can carry the burdens of others. We don't point, we don't judge, we don't condemn our fallen brother or sister like Jesus. We bear their burdens. And as Jesus carried his cross, we carry our cross and follow him. We take responsibility for our load. And we allow that to, take, to create gratitude in our hearts that God would love and save a wretch like me. And allow that to create compassion, to lift others and to journey with others on the road to restoration. If you yet to make a decision to follow Jesus, I invite you to put your faith in him tonight. You have that opportunity. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have an opportunity in just a moment to partake in communion and to reflect and to remember Jesus' work on the cross and the responsibility that we have to carry our load and to help carry the burdens of our fallen brother or sister. Would you guys join me in prayer? God, I pray that you would protect us from pride as it so often bubbles up in our lives. God, would you search our hearts and reveal where we need more and more of you, God. Help us, God, to carry our load and remind us that your grace is made perfect in our weakness. And thank you, Jesus, that you are the perfect burden bearer and that you carry the weight of our sin upon your back so that we can experience forgiveness of sin and new life. God, would you create in us humility, God, to identify where we fall incredibly short and compassion to lift our brother or sister up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.